South Sudan in focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington working on this program, Their Remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan and Sudan this Wednesday, October 19, 2022. The global humanitarian organization World Vision says Sudan is going through a serious food crisis due to high prices. And that's due really to a series of compounding factors, but really hunger is being driven by what we're calling the three C's, conflict climate change and the ongoing impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. And environmental activists warn the South Sudan government against destroying the ecosystem while cleaning the river Nile. After uh, thorough deliberation and after consideration of the recommendations, the cabinet decided that uh, what should be done should be the cleaning and clearing of the waterways. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. A new report by the global humanitarian organization World Vision says skyrocketing food prices are contributing to the global hunger crisis affecting children who are at risk of... World Vision's research found that there had been sharp rise of food prices in some countries like Sudan that has 143% increase in food prices in 2021. World Vision policy advisor Hannah Chagin says Sudan's food crisis needs urgent attention. There is a continued hunger crisis that is continuing to mount and we're seeing this manifest um, most severely in countries in East Africa and in parts of Asia. And that's due really to a series of compounding factors, but really hunger is being driven by what we're calling the three C's, conflict, climate change, and the ongoing impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and really this plays out differently depending on the context, but those are the three, really the main genres that you could categorize the hunger crisis in. Looking at a country like Sudan that has had its own problems for years, they are affected by the two C's, conflict and uh, COVID-19. What are some of the efforts by World Vision to mitigate that problem in a country difficult to access? Yeah, just like you said, there's political instability, economic instability. We've seen poor harvests. I was just talking with a colleague in the Sudan region who was describing to me just the amounts of heavy rain and flooding that we've seen in the region since August that's going to disrupt the planting season and, and will definitely affect outputs of that harvest. But, um, you know, World Vision, we have a presence in hunger hotspots around the world. And as we began to see the size and scale of this global crisis, we felt the need to mobilize a global response declaration. And, and the goal of that response is to reach 22 million people in 25 specific countries, and Sudan is included in that. Um, you know, our field teams have expertise in leadership and cash and food and nutrition programming, as well as being the largest implementing partner of the World Food, food Program. So in Sudan, we have five WFP partnerships, um, as well as a multi-sectoral response program focused on livelihoods interventions, primary health care, wash services, which is clean water, water sanitation services, and nutrition screening and treatments in South and East Darfur and Blue Nile. I was just going to follow up with a question on some of the locations, but you've talked about uh, Darfur and Blue Nile states. 
But how big is the magnitude of the issue we're saying? Yeah, so we just recently put out a, a report called our Price Shocks Report. And, and basically, you know, in addition to evaluating these drivers that I talked about before, it looks at specific countries to see how much the cost of a common food basket has increased in the past year. And in Sudan, you know, that was one of the most staggering increases with 143%. Um, and again, that's... That's a result of the compounding factors that I described earlier. Um, and we found that it takes about nine days to earn enough money to purchase a food basket in Sudan compared to 1.2 hours for the same food basket in the United States. So our report is really the average of um, the cost of the food basket across the country, but there are data points and reports that indicate, again, that the highest cost for a local food basket in Sudan um, was recorded in South and East Darfur, followed by the Blue Nile State. If you look at the global response to issues, you know, humanitarian issues to do with hunger, the, the focus is on Ukraine. I mean, is that affecting your advocacy for countries like Sudan that has been in its own problems for years before even the war in Ukraine? Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the world's attention has turned to the crisis in Ukraine, worried about, you know, what's going to happen with the refugees coming out of that country, rightfully so. Ukraine and Russia regions are a huge exporter of wheat and maize and some of these other staple crops that um, other countries like Sudan import. About 80 percent of Sudan's wheat imports come from that region. So, yes, the conflict is its own issue and needs attention, but the knock-on effects of that conflict have really had completely devastating um, consequences for countries around the world, um, countries like Sudan. So, yeah, we do feel strongly that, you know, as an aid agency, we're trying to raise awareness for these other um, contexts and these other conf um, countries that are being affected by the Ukraine crisis, but, you know, like you said, have their own um, issues and own drivers that are con that are continuing to, to exasperate the hunger crisis that we're seeing. And Hannah, talk to me finally about uh, donors. Is World Vision experiencing donor fatigue when we come to issues to do with Africa and specifically Sudan? Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, you know, there is there is the sense that the crisis is so large. How can we address this issue? Um, and, it, and it really is, is upon aid agencies to continue to communicate that, yes, the need is very great, but we have the tools, we have the understanding on how to address these issues, and we need donors, you know, every type of donor, government donors, individual donors, to step up and to realize that they can be a part of the solution to this, pro this problem. So, um, you know, we as the, again, we as aid agencies, we know how to respond to these types of crises. We have presence in these countries around the globe, and we need donors to step up and be a part of the solution. That's Hannah Chagin, World Vision's policy advisor. She spoke with me via Skype from Washington. Women and children have suffered globally due to impacts of conflict, the COVID-19 pandemic, and climate change. That's according to a new study by the United Nations entitled Every Woman, Every Child. The report published in 2020 says hunger, child marriage, sexual violence, 
and adolescent anxiety have all increased. For VOA News, Moreno Giambo reports from Nairobi. At least 25 million children were either unvaccinated or undervaccinated in 2021. Six million more than in 2019, increasing their risk of contracting deadly diseases. According to UNICEF, millions of children missed out on school during the pandemic. Majority of them more than a year, while approximately 80% of children in 104 countries and territories experienced learning loss because of schools closure. The Director of Social Policy and Social Protection at UNICEF, Natalia Rose, says millions of children lack access to education, nutritious food, clean water and shelter. UNICEF's targets for 2025 are ambitious, but we need ambitious targets. Children's lives depend on it. Now is the time to influence positive change, to ensure an inclusive recovery, accelerate progress around the sustainable development goals and to make a meaningful impact on the lives of millions of children around the world. Working together with governments, resource partners and others, we can make the right policy choices and make a real difference in reducing child poverty in all its forms. The United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres says authorities have failed to address the gaping inequalities at the root of global crisis from the COVID-19 pandemic to conflicts and the climate emergency. This is the reason women, children and adolescents have severely suffered from maternal mortality to education losses to severe malnutrition. The report provides wide-ranging evidence that children and adolescents are exposed to conflict and the economic circumstances of their families. Rosie says the goal is to ensure equity in delivering social services for underprivileged children and women. We work to strengthen and expand the coverage of social protection systems so that they can effectively reach all children while also ensuring that those moves at risk of discrimination and exclusion are systematically included. The report indicates that a child born in low-income country has an average life expectancy at birth of around 63 years compared to 80 in a high-income country. An estimate of 149 million children were underdeveloped in 2020. Africa is the only region where the number of children affected by impaired growth increased over the past 20 years from 54.4 million in the year 2000 to 61.4 million in 2020. The report calls upon the global community to address this damaging trajectory and protect the promises made to women, children and adolescents in the UN Sustainable Development Goals. It advocates for countries to continue investing in health services to address all crises and food insecurity, as well as empower women and young people around the world. Reporting for viewers, I am Moreno Jumbo in Nairobi, Kenya. Still on UN, the UN's children agency, UNICEF, says the ongoing flooding and climatic shock have impacted on the children's education and welfare in South Sudan. UNICEF's head of communication in South Sudan says... More than 2.8 million children are out of school across the country as the result of flooding and other shocks. The commission of Jur River County in western Bahar al-Ghazal state says more than 3,000 people are currently unable to attend classes after their schools were destroyed by recent floods. For VOA News, Dengai Deng reports from Bor. 
James Maiden, Chief of Communication for UNICEF in South Sudan, says more than 2.8 children are missing school as a result of flooding and other chokes being experienced, such as conflict and hunger. The ongoing flooding and climatic shocks in South Sudan are having great impact on children's education and welfare across the country. It's estimated that as of October, over 870 schools have been impacted uh, this year by the flooding uh, across uh, various states in South Sudan. Several schools are holding classes under the trees across the country after flooding submerged buildings or structures collapsed completely either from flooding or from damage that occurred during the ongoing violence according to UNICEF. Maiden says the UN Children's Agency is responding to the education crisis in South Sudan caused by flooding. Uh, including um, the provision of temporary learning spaces um, for flood-affected communities, uh, school materials and school in a box uh, to provide um, crucial materials and learning supplies for uh, students. Uh, back to school and, and promotion of education campaigns, as well as uh, capacitating and training teachers in uh, learner welfare and safety. Maiden says the funding available does not match the large number of children who are impacted by widespread flooding across South Sudan. In Jur River County of Western Bahar al-Ghazali state, authorities say thousands of school-age children are missing school after flooding destroyed schools in the area. Jur River County Commissioner James Buck, New York, says more than 3,500 children are unable to attend classes after their schools were deluged with water. The schools that have been collapsed are uh, about five, five schools in Marialbay, and uh, two in one by that makes total of seven. Then uh, in the Wau Wau East, I mean uh, Yuriba East County, Yuriba East, uh, there are one in Mapan, that is our primary school. Uh, the wind came and, came and broken the, the, the roofing. And, uh, in the northern part of the, the county, uh, in Udichi and Kangi, there are uh, roofing uh, that has been collapsed. So the school, the two schools, to make total of 11 schools uh, in Juriba County. New York says flooding has continued for three straight months in Juriba County. He says he worries children will give up and drop out. Something he says will increase the rate of early marriages. The dropout of the, the children, especially the girls, it will be higher next year because other children like, don't like to maybe sit under the trees and also it will discourage the children not not to join the school, not to continue the education. Commissioner Niyua says he has asked teachers to continue class instructions under trees on higher ground where people have relocated, but that's, that is now impossible due to heavy rain. The Ministry of, uh, of Education have already distributed the, 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 the textbooks and uh, the blackboards have been already about 280 blackboards have been and we have already been distributed to the all the schools in Yuriba. The most challenges about the host communities are uh, they, they are lacking where where when the houses have been collapsed, uh, collapsed. So they lack, uh, I mean, uh, plastic sheets and centers 
around the where they are now. So uh, my request to the all partners who are supporting the uh, river, so so they should have to see and and arrive with the with the plastic sheet and um, tell them so that the, the children can can have a place where they can settle. Nicholas Samuel, Western Baharil Ghazal, Minister for Information and Communications, says the government is aware of continued flooding in Juriva and Raja counties and other parts of the state and has formed a task force to assess the needs of affected people. There is a committee formed to see the flooding problem, but there is also a committee of disaster risk management in the state. It also falls under our mandate, but we are also organizing ourselves. But, uh, uh, for those who are affected with the flood, uh, our partners in the UN are working to save them with non-fodite and other necessary support like shelter. Uh, UNICEF says a little over 2,000 schools are operating under trees across South Sudan due to flooding and other reasons. According to a recent report by the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, or OCHA, the extensive flooding, high levels of food insecurity, violence, and disease outbreak continued to impact South Sudanese in September. Findings from rapid needs assessments indicate that over 900,000 people were affected by floods and torrential rains in 22 counties and the ABA administrative area as of the end of September. Ocha says the number of people affected is expected to rise as the rains continue. It said people in northern Varel Ghazal, Warap, Unity and western Equatorial states have been the worst affected. The agency says floods have destroyed homes, schools and health facilities, water sources, crop fields, pasture and restricted trade routes as roads have become impassable. For VOA News, I am Ding Guiding. In Bor. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Coming up, the government of South Sudan has approved the cleaning of the River Nile. Find out why after the break. South Sudan in Focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. Some environmental activists say the government of South Sudan should protect the ecosystem during a planned project for cleaning and clearing River Nile tributaries. For VOA Newsworker, Simon Wudu reports from Juba. In July, environmentalists and other South Sudanese residents publicly opposed a move by the water ministry to dredge some tributaries of the Nile River in the Sud region, including Unity State. President Salva Keren then ordered public consultations on the environmental impact of the project. The government says its decision to move forward with the cleaning and clearing of the tributaries is based on the findings of those public consultations. 
Dengma Jukchol, a student at the University of Oxford in the UK pursuing his PhD studies in geography and environmental studies, who is also conducting research on the soot wetland, says he welcomes the cabinet decision to clean and clear rivers or tributaries connected to the Nile. I welcome it because I think our rivers have not been attended to for many decades now. Uh, since the war broke out in 1983. So the wine tributaries within the territory of South Sudan have not been attended to. And so it is important that we can begin at the very basic level that is clearing and cleaning. This is to not lose sight of the fact that even clearing and cleaning need to be preceded by some survey of the river itself, by some environmental and social impact assessment. Charles says the government needs to clearly explain to the people why it is cleaning and clearing the tributaries of the Nile. Moses Gizam, an environmental activist working with the Civil Society Coalition on Natural Resources, says he welcomes the government's move on humanitarian grounds but has some reservations. We still remain suspicious of the extent to which they are going to do the cleaning because if it is in a state that is going to dry up the wetland, then uh, it's not a good initiative as of now. But on humanitarian ground, seeing the suffering of the people, uh, it is going to create a short-term uh, positive impact where at least the access water can find its way to go. People can have passage, the roofs can be open, and maybe people can start livelihood activities like farming. Moses says the government needs to ensure that the initiative does not endanger South Sudan's delicate ecosystem. When you're looking at uh, the, the ecosystem and the long-term impact, it is necessary for the government to have a countermeasure. Should this thing result into the drying up of the wetland, what other options do they have? The other thing the government can do is also that uh, that water itself is a resource. We know the country is just emerging from war, and they say capital formation is very poor. The government doesn't have money for such big projects. But that water can be converted into a man-made uh, lake. They can dig a lake which can uh, carry all that access water and the water still remains here. We can use it for irrigation, we can use it for fishing. The cabinet decided in a Monday Council of Ministers meeting which was chaired by President Salva Kiir to move ahead with the project. Information Minister Michael McQuay told the reporters the decision was taken after Barnaba Mariel Benjamin, the minister in the office of the president, made a presentation on the outcome of public consultations on the environmental impact of river dredging, which the president ordered earlier this year. After thorough deliberation and after consideration of the recommendations, the cabinet decided that uh, what should be done should be the cleaning and clearing of the waterways. Cleaning and clearing of the waterways means removing the whatever obstacles on the way, clearing the waterways so that the waterways could be used for navigation. Marque says the initiative is also aimed at addressing persistent flooding across parts of the country.
He says the work involves removing sedimentation along waterways of the Nile, which the government says has caused the rivers to overflow. Chol, however, believes the clearing and cleaning of rivers is not something that will tackle the problem of repeated flooding but will allow the natural flow of water. Marque says work on the project will start after a study has been conducted. In July, a majority of South Sudanese who wait in were against the move to dredge the rivers of the Nile, saying the project risks endangering the country's ecosystem. For VOA News, I'm working Simon Wudu in Juba. From Juba, we move to the Horn of Africa, where Ethiopian government forces and their allies have captured the city of Syria and two more towns in the Tigray region in an offensive that aims to take control of airports and federal infrastructure. The attacks has been met with international calls for an immediate ceasefire and for neighboring Eritrea to withdraw troops from the region. The fighting has also dashed hopes for African Union-led peace talks. Muhammad Yusuf reports from VOA's African News Center in Nairobi. After more than seven weeks of renewed fighting, Ethiopian government forces, allied militias and Eritrean troops are taking territories from the Tigray rebel group in the north of the country. In a statement, the Ethiopian government says its forces have taken control of Alamata, Korem and Shire City in the Tigray region and will coordinate with aid groups to get aid into those areas. The rebel Tigray People's Liberation Front acknowledged losing ground to the government troops but said it will defend itself against the enemies. William Davison is International Crisis Group Senior Analyst for Ethiopia. He says continued fighting and increased violence against civilians are likely. Shire is the second largest city, somewhat strategic, at a, you know, something of a crossroads, potentially uh, making it easier to advance towards you know, Aksum and, um, and Adwa. It you know, also has a, you know, a road, a major road south leading from it, so a strategic and, and psychological boost. But of course, we're yet to see how quickly this advance will continue. It's possible there'll be some rapid advance towards Mekele, or there could be you know, resistance along the way that, that prevents that. On Monday, the Ethiopian government said it was seeking to take control of critical infrastructure in the region, including airports and communications facilities. The war in Tigray is nearing the two-year mark, with no sign of peace in sight. In August, the conflict resumed after five months of truce. Davison says planned peace talks between the TPLF and the government. Maybe for naught if the government assess authority in Tigray. It isn't clear who they would be negotiating with if they succeed. So it looks more like 2020 rather than 2022, meaning that in 2022 there's been a focus on a negotiated settlement before the resumption of the conflict. But like I say, if they're trying to take control of all of Tigray, it isn't clear who they will be negotiating with at the end of it. This month's planned peace talks in South Africa and other peace processes failed to launch as the sides continue to disagree on the venue and mediators of the reconciliation efforts. The head of the Horn Institute for Strategic Studies, Hassan Khananji, says all means possible need to be used to bring the factions to the negotiating table. It's important that uh, the parties 
uh, also present mediators who are going to appear at least to be impartial or neutral to both parties. Part of the challenge in recent uh, you know, months has been the perception that some mediators may not exactly be neutral. It's going to be important that uh, the framework of mediation also involves a degree of uh, carrots and sticks uh, in sh to, to ensure that uh, uh, spoilers are not going to have their way because without uh, the ability to enforce the agreement, of course, it's going to be violated. Kalenji adds that without some incentives for the parties just to come to the table, both sides may be reluctant to negotiate at all. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. Still on Tigray, the director of the World Health Organization, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, who hails from Tigray, says, quote, Finally, I'm running out of diplomatic language for the deliberate targeting of civilians in Tigray, Ethiopia. End of quote. He says there is no other situation globally in which six million people have been kept under siege for almost two years. The WHO director says banking, fuel, food, electricity and health care are being used as weapons of war. Adding that the media is not allowed and destruction of civilians is done in darkness. He says there are no services for tuberculosis, HIV, diabetes, hypertension, and more. Tedros says those diseases which are treatable elsewhere are now what he calls death sentence in Tigray. The outspoken WHO director told a media briefing in New York Wednesday, quote, Yes, I'm from Tigray, and yes, this affects me personally. I don't pretend it doesn't. Most of my relatives are in the most affected areas, more than 90% of them, end of quote. He says his job is to draw the world's attention to the crisis that threatens the health of, of people wherever they are. Tedros says the situation in Tigray is a health crisis for 6 million people. He says the world is not paying enough attention. He urged the international community and the media to give this crisis the attention it deserves, adding there is a very narrow window now to prevent what he calls genocide in Tigray. That's all we prepared for you this Wednesday. Don't forget to check out VOA News. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with MJ Yore and the song Ashogoro. I'm your host, John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Yeah,